Well, welcome to this latest edition of our Sunday morning sermon podcast at Powell Butte Christian Church. This is Pastor Trey Hinkle. I'm the uh, senior pastor here. It's great to have you join us. We are in the middle of a series on the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're entitling the whole series, God's Upside Down Kingdom. And now we're in the middle of a, or just beginning a four-week series. This is our second week of a four-week series on uh, what Jesus says about money, what the Bible teaches us about finances and being good stewards of what God, who is the owner of it all, has entrusted to us. As we open, I'm reminded of the old story about two friends, old friends who had met up with one another on the street one day, and one looked really sad, uh, almost on the verge of tears. And his friend said, well, what, what has happened to you, my friend? And he says, well, three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $40,000. And then two weeks ago, a cousin that I never knew died and left me $85,000. And then last week, my great aunt passed away, and I inherited almost a quarter of a million dollars from her. Well, the first man said, well, I, I can see with all of these people dying that you might be sad, but, to, you know, there's all that money, so why, why are you sad? And the man says, well, this week I didn't get anything. I didn't get anything. Isn't that typical of many, many people? We're still waiting for our next stimulus check, right? You know, I don't even think Jenny and I re- received the first three you know, it's sad. One of the things that is missing when we do teach about the Bible's principles of finances and resources, uh, one thing that we miss is the acknowledgement that so many people out there actually want to be generous. They really are. They, they, they are not as selfish as what some people assume. They want to be able to contribute to causes that stir their heartstrings. They want to be faithful in their giving. And they should be commended for that desire. The, the problem isn't their desire. It's their ability See, when they look at how they have managed or at times mismanaged the resources that God, the owner of it all, has given to them to manage, these people who want to be generous, they find themselves unable to give as freely and as generously as they would like to. When they look at the bank account or they look at the budget or they realize uh, that they're strapped, that debt hole that they've dug often can seem like the Grand Canyon. And while there are those occasions where debt was brought on by an unexpected emergency, most of the time, uh, debt happens simply because we fall into a trap of being discontent with what we have, what we've been given in our life. It's that discontentment, I believe, that drives a lot of unnecessary debt. Now, what is discontentment? Well, it's the dissatisfaction with what I have or, or what I don't have. And the word that I like to associate today with discontentment is the word awareness. Because if for the rest of your life you become more aware, you pay attention to the relationship between discontentment and awareness, I promise you that it's going to open your eyes to what's been going on inside of you and what's been going on in our culture for a long, long time. So here's the point. You see, I will be content with what I have until I see somebody else's stuff. I'll be content with what I have until I become aware 
of all of those things I don't have. You see, I'm, I'm happy with my house until I come and visit yours. And, and I didn't realize that ceilings could be built that high. I didn't realize that showers could be that huge. And then what happens in my life, in my heart, I grow discontent. Discontent with what I have. See, you, you, you realize I probably didn't even ever consider my shower or the, the size of my ceilings, until I saw your gigantic one. That's true of ceilings. It's true of showers. It's true of TVs and clothes and cars and computers and phones. Everything that we have, when we become aware that there's something newer or better or faster or thinner or whatever, now we're discontent with what we have. There's that discontentment that grows inside of us. And so what's the solution? Well, we have to buy that newer or the bigger or the faster or the thinner one, right? That's, that's how we fix it. And, and then we think, okay, well, good, I'm done. It, it's funny, though, when you look at the old days, you know, in the old days, you replaced something when it broke. <laughs> and actually, maybe not even then, because if you knew how to fix it or knew somebody who could fix it, then you, you really didn't even replace it. You just fixed it, right? But, but typically, if you couldn't fix it, the only time you bought something new or you replaced something that you had is when that thing broke. Today, we don't wait for anything to break. Now, we, we, we get the text message that we're eligible for the upgrade. And so, what do we do? Well, hey, I'm eligible for an upgrade. So we go in and we upgrade. And you know what? They disguise it so cleverly, I found, that the fact that you up, as soon as you upgrade, that clock begins back at zero for the lease of the phone, and you have to pay for it all over again. You see now how becoming aware of bigger and better actually can drive discontent or discontentment? See, I gain a new appetite that tends to never be fully or finally satisfied. It's like I've, I've eaten that meal, but now I can't go back to what I used to eat because this is such, such a great meal. It's so new and so, it's so much better. And now I have to have this. Church, what I have found, as someone who is desperately trying to get healthier and losing my weight, the only way to appease my out-of-control appetite is not to continue to feed it. I must find ways of starving it. Not starving my body, but starving my body of the wrong kind of food. Or starving it of the out-of-control portions of food. You know, recently I have given up both salt to put on my food after it's been cooked and caffeine. I have been off of those two things since the latter part of March. You know, at first it was hard. But do I crave it now? No. No, really, I, I'm, I'm okay with not putting salt on my food. I'm, I'm actually tasting what the food actually tastes like. And, and I'm okay with decaf coffee. Uh, I've, I've become accustomed to it. I have purged that out of my, my life, and it's pretty amazing. So with that in mind, the, the, the fact that we cannot continue to feed this out-of-control appetite, we need to find a ways of, of starving it. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter. 6. 1 Timothy is towards the end of your New Testament. Uh, these are 
letters that Paul had written to a young pastor in the, the city of Ephesus, his protege, a, a man named Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we read this advice that Paul gives to Timothy. He says, listen, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That was verses 6 through 8. You know, we do talk a lot about godliness in church. But Paul says, hey, godliness is great, but I want to add something to godliness. He's talking not just about godliness, which is what we do strive for as disciples in God's upside-down kingdom, but he's also talking about the first characteristic of a good manager of the resources that God, as the owner, has given to us to be his managers, and that characteristic is contentment, godliness with contentment. You add contentment to your godliness, and guess what? There is great gain he says. Why is that great gain? Well, because as we were reminded last week, we all start in this life with nothing, and we're going to end this life with nothing. And the only investments that we then should be making are spiritual investments, things that we can't the things that we can't take with us when we die, but things that we can send on ahead of us into eternity before we die, so they're waiting there for us. Now, so what are those things? Well, Godliness, holiness, reflecting His DNA in our life, and being satisfied with what we have been given to use while we are here on earth. Godliness and contentment. The the, the things that we actually need, like shelter and sustenance, he, he talks about there. Those are the things that Paul encourages us to take delight in, to be content with. He says anything more than that, man, that's just bonus. So let me ask a question. Think back in your life. When in your life were you the most content? Is it when you had everything you ever wanted? Like, like right now, maybe because now it's kind of the culmination of all of, the, all of the other time in your life. And finally, you've been able to purchase everything that your heart has ever desired. You now got the house and the car and all of that. Or were you actually more content when there wasn't as much? But you didn't have the appetite for more either. See, I'm always amazed at the testimony of those who travel south of the the border on missions trips. One of the common things that are reported when they return is how happy the people down there seem to be. Even though they don't have a lot, they seem to be very content with their life, even though they don't have what we have. So why would that be? Is it possible that those people are content because they're just not aware of the things that they don't have. Oh, I, I don't know how many years ago it was, but I, I heard a comedian on a talk show, and it was hilarious because he was speaking of this, this discontentment in light of becoming aware of things. He, he, he talked about, he talked about a, a time where he got on an airplane, and, and it was the first time that the airlines were offering high-speed internet on flights. And so literally, it was the newest thing that people on that airplane knew existed. So there he was on the plane, and the the flight attendant told them that they could open up their laptops. And so he did, and he connected to the internet, the the Wi-Fi there. He's watching YouTube videos. And just a couple minutes later, the Wi-Fi signal goes down. 
And, and the uh, flight attendant gets on the, uh, on the intercom and apologizes for what's going on. And the guy sitting next to the comedian was so mad. He just, he exploded. And, and the comedian said, like, how quickly the world owes him something that he only knew existed just two minutes ago. You know, why are you getting so upset? You didn't know that existed. But once you became aware that it did exist, when it was taken away from you, you were very upset. See, Paul talks uh, of the way that God intends for us to take in the experience of this world. He says, listen, I've learned that as long as my relationship with God is good, then if I have just my basic needs, if I got food and shelter, I, I should be great. It's when I begin to see more stuff that I could have, and then I begin to, to accumulate that stuff, that I actually become less content with what I have. And that's a very profound place to be. Paul continues in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6. He says this, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Well, here is the passage that we looked at last week in its full context. See, discontentment leads to this desire to have more. And that desire to have more then turns into this devotion and allegiance to money or to resources, to material stuff that we have. And and that's what Paul means by the love of money, uh, to to make it our idol, to to make it the the object of our affection and our devotion and our allegiance. And, And once money and stuff become the thing that we love, well, then the, the minute the, the goal of our life is to get just one more dollar richer, we have wandered from what should be the object of our affection and devotion, and we have bowed down to an idol. And that's the trap that Paul mentions in these two verses. Debt is a trap, one of those traps that Paul basically is talking about. Most people who are in debt, they are in a trap. Except in certain cases, again, like I said, where emergencies have have popped up, expenses have become unexpected. Um, Most of the time, most of the time, when we get into debt, that happens when we want something that we don't currently have, and we're not willing to wait for it. We're not willing to work for it, or to save up for it, or to put it on layaway. We want it now. We want to be rich. We want to live richly, you can say. We're not content with where we're at now. We want something more. Now, there's nothing wrong, folks, nothing wrong at all with getting a bigger house or a newer car. But when everything screams at you that this is too much, not right now, you really cannot afford this bigger house or this newer car right now, then you have to ask yourself, then why are you pulling the trigger? If everything is screaming at you, this is not the right time, then why do you want to pull that trigger? Because there's a temptation. That's what the Bible tells us. There's a temptation to live beyond our present standard of living. There's a temptation to take the shortcut that we don't actually work towards and save up. 
so that we can have the money to buy those things. So we get into debt. Debt is that shortcut. There, there's this temptation that's pulling us into a trap that too many of us get stuck in for far too many years. Church, you've got to know that your Heavenly Father desires for you to be free from that kind of prison, from that kind of trap. You see, when you live with discontentment, that's a dangerous thing. And, and I don't care if you're poor or if you're middle class or if you're incredibly rich. Any one of those, any one of us, I don't care how, what your level of income is right now or, or what your standard of living is right now, we can all become discontent. Anybody can be discontent with what they have and want more, whatever level they're at. The thing that fuels contentment is this awareness of what you don't have. And that can happen when you're poor. That can happen when you're really, really rich. You, you see, that, that's how commercials work, by the way. Commercials are bought by companies that need you to buy their stuff. I mean, they have things for you to buy. They, they want you to buy them, so they make you aware that you don't have this and that you should have this. Now, capitalism, capitalism is, is just about supplying what other people need or want. You know, So I'm hungry, I'd like a burger. Capitalism then has somebody out there providing burgers for people like me who are hungry for burgers, right? So there's really nothing wrong with that when, when somebody has something to sell to you because you need it or you want it. But capitalism has an ugly cousin named consumerism, and consumerism is a bully because consumerism finds me in my desire for a burger, I want a burger, and says to me, oh, come on. Don't settle for a burger. No, you deserve more like this $30 prime rib over here. And, and, and now you're aware that there's something more than just a burger out there. And you see that prime rib and you go, wow, that does sound great. But, but here's the problem. I, I don't have really $30 to spend on that prime rib. Yeah, but it's worth it. And remember, you deserve it. Well... Tell you what, we'll help you. We'll finance that prime rib for you. Yeah, here's a plastic card that will loan you the money so that you can have what you don't have and what you really want. You, you, you know, that thing that we told you that you deserve. And, and if you stop and think, you say, oh, oh, yeah, well, that sounds really easy. Just a little plastic card and you can loan me the money. But, but that burger that I had wanted is only three bucks. And actually, if you really think about it, I can probably buy burger in bulk and bring the cost down to less than a, a buck a burger if I actually choose to prepare it myself and not go to a restaurant. Yeah, but here's prime rib. Do you see how easy that is to fall into that trap? And did I make you hungry? Now, I know that there are people out there who can afford prime rib. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Good for you. If you can afford a $30 prime rib, great. Great. Buy the prime rib. But if I don't have that $30, I must find contentment with what I can get. That $3 burger or the $1 burger if I fix it myself. But you know what? Here, here's why it's such an easy trap to fall into. 
It's so hard to stay content with when all I see out there in, in the media on commercials are things that I don't have, things that they want to sell to me and things that they say I deserve. I become aware of my lack of that and that fuels my discontentment. <laughs> By the way, this is why class warfare is so destructive. There's this philosophy, a mindset, even a political stance out there that, that stirs up discontent. People can't stand that certain people are able to live at a higher standard of living than somebody else. They can't stand that there are certain people who are able to sustain that standard of living without going into debt. They hate the fact that those people might have more stuff or better stuff or newer stuff. And they don't think that's fair. And so they get jealous. They get envious. All because they're discontent with their own standard of living. See, the love of money creeps into so many avenues of our life today. It's, it's crazy. But here's, here's the good news today. There is another way, church. That there is a but that begins verse 11. And I love that because it shows us that there is a better way. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, but you, man of God, Paul's talking to Timothy, but you, man of God, woman of God, disciple of Jesus, flee from all of this. Pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Ah, see, here's the way to break the crazy cycle. You got to change your awareness. The word that Paul uses here is flee. Flee from all this. Don't flirt with it. Flee from it. You don't get into a cage with a lion and say, well, I'm going to be careful. I'll be careful. You know, being careful isn't the issue. Fleeing is the issue. When it comes to discontentment and and falling in love with stuff, the first step is to run away like mad, like your life depends on it, because it does. Get away from the things that are going to create that discontentment in your life. That's, That's the first step. But then the second step right there is not just to flee from that, but to pursue something else. The the secret to become less aware of one thing is to become more aware of something else. You need to change your awareness. If we want to stay content with all that God has given to us, then the things that we must pursue, the things that should occupy our mind and our time, are these righteousness and godliness, faith, Love, endurance, and gentleness. Well, let's look at those things real quick before we finish up today. Because if we can get a, a grasp on these things, then God is telling us in His Word that we can break free. We can flee from discontentment because we're pursuing something else. What do we pursue? Righteousness and godliness. Basically, that just means that we know that there's a godly way of using the resources that He has given to us, that He has asked us to manage. There's a godly way of using those, and there's an ungodly way of using them. If you jump down to verse 18 of chapter 6, Paul says, Command these people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Paul is talking about those who have resources, those who, as he puts it, are rich in this present world. He doesn't condemn those who are rich in this present world. It's not bad to be rich at all, but we must understand if God has given us physical, material blessings, that there are ways of utilizing that wealth for 
godly purposes for the eternal kingdom of God rather than on the temporal kingdom of our own world. So Paul says you need to pursue righteousness and godliness. What else do you pursue? You pursue faith. Now we're going to get into this more next week when we're talking about trusting God. But essentially, when we do trust in God's provision and guidance and wisdom and His heart, then when it comes to our stuff, whether we are in need or have plenty, Paul says that he's learned the secret of being content. And, and, and at one point, Paul had a lot. And at one point, Paul had nothing. And yet he said, that didn't matter because of my faith. I know the secret of being content. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, instead of relying on the governments of man for handouts, we must begin to live a life of faith in God's provision and plans. God uses people to help other people. God uses the wisdom that He's given us in His Word to say, if you'll just trust that, you will find that you actually have extra at the end of the month, believe it or not. We must pursue faith, pursue a trust in His wisdom. Then he says, I, I want you to pursue love. You know, figure out why God gives you extra at times in your life. Once, once you start to live in trust with how he says to live, now there, there's this understanding that, man, now why do I have the extra? Is it merely for us to become more comfortable and have more stuff, to tear down our barns and then build bigger barns? Or might there be another reason that God is blessing you? To give you extra over and above what you need. You know, I love what Romans 13, 8 reminds us of. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. So we need to pursue love. We need to pursue endurance. And I know that endurance is kind of tied with faith because at times as we are learning to trust God, I promise you, you will be tested. The enemy doesn't just roll over and play dead when we start to pursue righteousness and godliness in this area. When we, when we start to, to, to uh, live by faith and, and begin to give out of love. See, he wants you to continue to serve money, to put your security in the material goods that you have, because he knows that that's going to take you away from your allegiance to God. So tough times will come at you. And so Paul says you need to pursue endurance during those times when the temptation uh, to be discontent becomes too strong. You must stay at doing the right thing. Keep on keeping on. And finally, he says, I want you to, I want you to pursue gentleness, which if you recall when we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and when we were looking at even uh, in, in the Beatitudes when Jesus said, blessed are those who are meek, Meek and gentleness are the same words. And gentleness is not weakness. It's, it's actually strength, but it's strength under God's control, allowing God to guide you in your financial decisions. You're going to find that He leads you a deeper, to a deeper dis, uh, contentment, sorry, a deeper contentment without having this anxiety that comes from being discontent and wanting more and more and more. I, I absolutely love the perspective, the awareness, if you will, that Paul then concludes in verse 19 of this short passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he says, in this way, these people who are learning how to be generous 
and learning how to live by faith and pursue godliness. In this way, they will lay treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Take hold of life that is truly life. Now, what that tells me is that the things that lead to discontentment in my life, those aren't really truly life-giving, are they? In fact, if I'm not careful, they're going to suck the, light, the life right out of me. So there's a conundrum in our culture because people are out there looking for true meaning. They're, they're seeking something that will give them true life, something that satisfied, sorry, satisfies, something that gives uh, their lives meaning. And yet, they're avoiding the answer. The answer that's right there in front of them. And so they spend way too much of their extra time and money and energy pursuing things that over time are going to lose their value. What the Bible tells us very clearly is that if we can allow God's Holy Spirit to create in us a different awareness, if we allow ourselves to become aware of something different, then through the power of God, the power of God in our lives our pursuits begin to change. Our habits begin to change. And miraculously, we can kick discontentment to the curb forever. And that actually brings about peace and joy and love that we've never, ever experienced before. So to this week, you, I'm going to give you some homework. I want you to wrestle with Two questions, and if you're brave, I, why don't you bring along your spouse with you to, to wrestle alongside with you with these two questions, trying to get on the same page, same page spiritually speaking. Number one, I, I, take a look at your life. What are the issues in your life that have tended to create discontentment? What is it that you are striving for? What are you trying to pursue rather than to flee? What are those things that trip you up that are the greatest temptations for you to say, man, I, I want this, I have to have this, and you actually uh, develop this discontent? What, what are those issues? And number two, what do you need to, became, to become less aware of, and what do you need to become more aware of? See, this is one of those biblical principles, church, that is a true game changer discontentment in this world is so dangerous. It lays traps for us, and it's going to hold us in prison forever. But we can avoid that trap by shifting our focus to what God is doing in this world and what God wants to do in your life. And we're going to be witnesses to the fact that the Apostle Paul was absolutely right. Godliness combined with contentment is indeed great gain. In fact, it's the only real gain out there because it's the only way to find true fulfillment and enrichment in our lives. All right. Well, thank you. That's about it for today. Uh, I encourage you, if you can ever join us, uh, to, to come on Sunday mornings, um, uh, either at 8.30 or 10.30 or 11.30, and, um, and just hang out with us uh, here in Powell Butte, Oregon. I would love to have you. Um, in the summer months, we're getting ready to uh, shift from 10.30 to 9.30 as we go outdoors and enjoy the beautiful weather and nature that God has given us here in central Oregon. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank my...
producer, my executive producer, Lisa Welly, for getting these podcasts up and running. I, I love uh, all of the work that uh, Steve Pittman has put into uh, all of our technology stuff here at the church. Uh, you can live stream us as well on Sunday mornings at the 8.30 and the 10.30 services so that you might be able to uh, connect if you are not um, living in our area or still feel a little bit uh, hesitancy of getting out there after the COVID has uh, kind of uh, wiped <laughs> wiped things. I don't know how to say that. Uh, if you're still afraid a little bit, you, you guys can just go to our YouTube channel. I'll look up Palview Christian Church and you'll find our services online. Uh, may God bless you this week as you begin to seek contentment in your life with the things that God has given you and that you'll flee from those things that create discontent. And we will talk with you next time. <laughs>